You were, we were created by God in his image. As I've said many times, when God said, let us make man in our, man in our image after our likeness, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. The next verse says, and male and female, he created them. We were created to be an extension of the life of God. Let us make man in our image. We were created to be an expression of the character of God after our likeness. And we were created to be an exhibit of the power of God. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. However, we were also created by God to live in his presence. It was never the plan of God for God who is holy to be separated from his created people who were created in his image. It was never his plan for us to ever be separated from the presence of God. We were to live in his presence and to have communion and fellowship with him throughout all eternity. But you know, remember what happened. The devil tempted Adam and Eve and they disobeyed God and something really, really tragic happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, I want to show you a sad picture. Up until this time, before Adam and Eve sinned, Adam would walk with God in the cool of the day. I wonder what that was like. And they just lived in his unhindered presence. It's just like heaven's going to be. It's exactly what it's like. We'll live in the unhindered presence of God. But after Adam and Eve sinned, look what happens. And they, it's on the screen so you can see it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Boy, that's quite a change, isn't it? Adam looked forward every afternoon. And there's no time then. He just looked forward to having his daily walk with God, fellowshipping with him, experiencing his love. You know what it says in Psalm 1611? You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy and pleasure as Adam walked with God. But now, He's hiding from God. Hiding? And then the Lord God called to Adam and asked him, said, Adam, where are you? Now, now God knew where he was, but he wanted Adam to know where he was. Well, uh, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. You know, sin always makes you afraid. Because I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And, of course, the Lord asked Adam, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And, of course, they said yes. Well, then everything changed. Adam and Eve, who were created to live in the presence of God, were now by their sins separated from the presence of God. And one of the saddest pictures in the Bible is Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. When God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and put an angel there so they couldn't back in. Look at what it says. 
Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. Now look, it was God's plan for them to dwell in that beautiful place, in his presence in perfect fellowship. But now sin had created havoc in their lives and separated them. And now God, don't you know this broke the heart of God? And God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground which was from which he was taken. And then it says, I, I don't, I, this is tough. He drove out the man. wonder what that means. God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. He drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east end of the, gar- of the garden, a flaming sword which turned every way to keep them from eating of the tree of life. Created to live in the presence of God, now separated from God. Well, here's the tragedy. From Adam to Jesus, everyone born from Adam to Jesus was born into a world where they could not live. and They were born in a condition where they could not live in the presence of God. Since Adam and Eve sinned, from Adam to Jesus, no one could continuously live in God's holy presence. That was what life was all about, y'all. Living in God's presence. Experiencing fellowship with Him. So, but they were separate. You say, well, Brother Fred, Moses had an encounter with God up on the mountain, and it was such glorious, he had to cover his face. But he didn't stay in the presence of God. He went up, he came down, he was out. You say, well, there were times when David had unusual encounters with the presence of God, or Gideon. Yeah, that was brief encounters, but they didn't live in his presence. You say, well, what about the time when the glory of God just filled the tabernacle of Solomon. Yeah, that was a brief encounter, but they did not live in the presence of God. See, the truth is that no one from Adam to Jesus could live in the presence of God. Now, I want to show you from the Bible, and, and it's one of the most, it blesses me more than anything else as I study it and read it. Uh, It just uh, blesses me. You see, you know how many chapters are devoted in the Bible to the tabernacle? Maybe five, ten chapters to the cross. But 40 chapters dedicated to the tabernacle. You say, what was the tabernacle? It was that place of worship where from after they left Egypt and got into Canaan, that's where they worshiped. Even when they were in the wilderness 40 years, there was the tabernacle. But now here's the awesome thing. Those 40 chapters about the tabernacle are important for two reasons. They teach us very clearly that no one could live in the presence of God uh, from Adam to Jesus. But, but, But also every bit of it is a picture of Jesus. Man, as I was reading it yesterday and studying it, I was just blown away. Hey, by the way, you say, I'd really like to study the tabernacle. Well, I said I didn't have a book handy, so I Googled it. And if you've got a computer, you can Google it. And I said, the the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Well, all this stuff came up, and there was one section 
that went through every piece of the tabernacle and what it meant, written by a biblical scholar. I, I got through re watching that on my little iPad, and I just had a spell, man. I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome. I'm telling you. All right, let me tell you about the tabernacle. First of all, it was surrounded completely, the tabernacle, by a seven-foot-high fence made out of fine linen. But there was only one entrance into the tabernacle area. You see, there was an outer court, then there was a, the actual a tent, and in the tent were two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, the fact that there was only one entrance into uh, the tabernacle grounds, the outer court, the fact that there was only one entrance and it, you went in facing the west, guess what? That was a picture of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, verse 9 and 10. He said, I am the door. Well, what about that? They had one door going into the tabernacle. Hey, you see, there's only one way to be saved. It's Jesus. I am the door. If anyone goes, enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So we see Jesus in the tabernacle because there was one gate through which you could enter the, the tabernacle to worship God. Then when you get into, uh, inside the gate, there's an outer court. And let me tell you something. Say this was the gate right here and you walked in. It wasn't very long until you came right to a bronze altar, a bronze altar. Guess what you had with you when you went in through the gate? Oh, you didn't go in by yourself. When you went in through the gate, you had a live animal with you, a live animal with you, which was going to be offered as a sacrifice for your sin. So you probably had a rope around his neck, and you just walked on in, and you had that animal, and you went through the gate, Jesus, and you came to the brazen altar, the bronze altar, and you know what you did? Boy, this is amazing. They would lay their hands on the head of the lamb, the worshipers, transferring their sin from themselves to the sacrifice. And then they would give the sacrifice, the living animal, to the priest. He would slay the animal and cover the and, and, and place it on the altar and its shed blood would cover. See, bronze is always a picture of judgment. And so there, when that sacrifice of that animal, animal was made and the blood of that animal was shed, that meant that the sins of these people were not permanently forgiven, but they were covered for a while. Oh, they'd have to come back with another sacrifice. So we see in the bronze uh, lay of the brazen altar, we see a picture of God's judgment on sin. And the only way sin could be paid for was through the blood of Jesus. And I love what, what First Peter says about that. Verses 1, uh, 18. Now look at this. Knowing that you were not redeemed, purchased and paid for by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the from the aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. But how were you redeemed? You know, Jesus had to have your sins 
placed on him. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb. A perfect lamb. Without blemish and spot. So the gate is a picture of Jesus. The brazen altar is a picture how that one day Jesus, as the Lamb of God, would have all of our sins placed on him. And they would not just be covered, but the permanent sacrifice would be made. Well, then you couldn't go in the Holy of Holies, only the priest, the holy place. See, once you got through the sacrifice and out of court, you were through, but the priest would go into the, there are two rooms in the tent. Two rooms in the tabernacle. The holy place and the holy of holies. Now, let me tell you about the holy place. There were three wonderful things in the holy place. It wasn't very big. It wasn't very big. But on one side was seven golden, the seven golden candlesticks. The, the, the lampstand of seven candles the Jews call it the menorah. And, 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 the, and the seven is a picture of perfection. And these golden uh, candles or, or, or lights were fed by olive oil, which is a picture in some ways. It had to be specially treated by the priest, a picture some, somewhat of the Holy Spirit who feeds the oil to give light. But so here was the seven golden lampstands, and they were fed by the uh, olive oil, and they, that was the only light in the holy place. No more light. It was the only light. Well, what in the world is that a picture of? That's a picture of Jesus. Look at John eight twelve. He said, then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I'm the light of the world. Man, every bit of this is a picture of Jesus. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Well, that was on one side of the holy place. Get what was on the other side. The table of showbread. Now, I didn't know this. All of y'all knew it, but I didn't know this. You know what was on that table of showbread? Twelve loaves of bread. What? Oh, yeah. One loaf for each tribe of Israel. That table of showbread, there were twelve loaves of bread. And the, the candles, seven golden candles, gave light down on the table of showbread. And you know what? The table of showbread, you know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the bread of life. Look at John 6, 35. The whole thing's a picture of Jesus, y'all. It's what it's all about. And Jesus said to them, now there were 12 loaves of bread. He said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Man, I got to reading this. I said, Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the, uh, the lamb, the place of sacrifice. Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus is the bread of life. And then there was a third piece, one third piece of furniture, or whatever you call it, in the holy place. You know what it was? The altar of incense. The altar of incense. And that was a picture of the prayers of people that were a sweet aroma going up to God. A sweet aroma going up to God. You know, and it was a picture of the prayers of the saints. Hey, guess what Jesus said? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13? He said to them in his written, My house shall be called 
a house of prayer. No one prayed like Jesus. So as we go through the tabernacle, we just see Jesus everywhere. But now we've got a problem. We, the priest minister in the holy place. But then there was that other room, the holy of holies. And nobody could go in there. Nobody. Except once a year. On the day of atonement, the day of atonement, the, the high priest would prepare himself, carry some in incense and smoke to cover himself from the face of God, and he would go into the Holy of Holies. Because, now listen carefully, everybody knew the presence of God was not in the outer court. Everybody knew the presence of God was not in the holy place. Everybody knew the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies behind the veil. Now, I, I, I didn't realize this till, the, till I was reading this yesterday. You know, you know how high the veil was? Evidently, at that point where the Holy of Holies was, that they, they, they made the roof high. The veil was 60 feet high from top to bottom. It was 60 feet. And by the way, it was four inches thick. So it was a massive veil. So behind the veil was the Holy of Holies. So what was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. And by the way, the Ark of the Covenant always indicated the presence of God. Wherever the Ark was, for the Israelites, that's where the presence of God was. For example, in Joshua 3.11, they were about to cross the Jordan River. They finally were going to get where God intended them to go after 40-some years. And so, and, and Joshua said, okay, look what he says about the Ark of the Covenant. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into Jordan. And as it goes in, the water's open, and you follow it through. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Throughout Israel's time, the Ark of the Covenant dwelled in the Holy of Holies, and it was a reminder of the presence. No, it was, yeah, it was to them the presence of God. Now, by the way, the, above the Ark of the Covenant, there was a, I, I, I'd always called it uh, the mercy seat, which it was, but they called it the atonement seat or the atonement covering. And that was a symbolic of the fact that there was mercy with God. Because let me tell you what was in the ark. Manna that they ate in the wilderness, Aaron's rod that budded, and uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the stones on which the Ten Commandments. I often wondered why those three. And I didn't find out till yesterday. You said you're 79 years old, been preaching 60 years. You never quit learning. You, you, you didn't know, so I'm going to tell you right now. Why was the manna and the bud, rod that budded and the commandments in there? Because they were all pictures of how Israel had failed God. That would have never been any manna if they hadn't sinned against God. 
And the Ten Commandments was a reminder that they all broke the law of God. And Aaron's rod that budded was also a symbol of their faith. But good, here's the good news. Covering the ark with those three things was the cover of atonement, was the mercy seat. And at one corner was the cherubim and another one, a cherubim, that were there to, to uh, celebrate and worship the presence of God. So man, and also in the Holy of Holies, there was that cloud. Somebody said it was fire, but there was that cloud. And guess what everybody knew? That cloud represented the presence of God. In fact, you ask any Hebrew, any Jew, where does God dwell? They wouldn't bat an eye. Oh, he lives inside the veil above the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. That's where the Shekinah glory of God is. That's where God dwells. But guess what? Nobody could go in there. Why? Because from Adam to Jesus, nobody could live in the presence of God. That's 60 foot high, four inch thick scarlet veil said, stay out. You can't go in. You know, the Bible makes that absolutely clear about how uh, as long as the veil was in place, nobody could go inside. Hebrews 9, 6 through 8. Now, I want you to look at this. It tells you very plainly why that veil was there and why the Ark Covenant and so forth was inside. But now, when these things had been thus prepared, get this. The priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But look at this. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating that the, now get this, that the way into the Holy of Holies was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle and that veil was still standing. You see, that veil basically said, keep out. Well, now here's what I want to know. And this is the glorious answer. Well, how do you get inside the veil? How do you get into the Holy of Holies? How do you get into the presence of God? And how do you live there? I mean, that's what I want to know. How do you do it? I understand that the, the priest could only go in once a year, not without blood. They had a rope around his leg that in case he died in there, they had to drag him out because nobody could go in. If they did, they would die immediately because you couldn't go into the presence of holy God. Well, I want you to know that you don't get inside the veil by performance. You don't do that. You say, well, if, if my good works are enough, and I perform right, God will accept me. Dead wrong. And I'm going to tell you another way you don't get in there. You don't get inside the veil in the Holy of Holies by religious rites. You know, if I do this ceremony or that ceremony or this rite or that rite, I mean, that'll get me inside the veil into the presence of God. Wrong. You don't get into God's presence by good works or by performance. There's only one way to get inside the veil and that is by the provision of God. God had to provide a way. 
Well, let's look at what his way is. You'll love this. This is what we're celebrating Friday. But just remember, Friday, that Sunday's coming. Here it is, Matthew 27, 27 through 35. Now, I want you to just, I'm not going to read this fast. This is God's providing a way for us to live in his presence. This is God providing a way. It says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison of soldiers around him. Can you imagine all those soldiers with their vest and helmets surrounding Jesus? All right, and the next verse says, and they stripped him. My Lord, have mercy. And they put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And boy, this breaks your heart. Man, this is Jesus. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, This hail, king of the Jews. Then they spat on him. Come on. Everybody should have loved him. All he did was heal the sick, raise the dead, encourage the discouraged, preach the truth, show people God's love. They spit on him, took a reed and beat him or struck him upside the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put in his own clothes on him, get this, and led him away to be crucified. And, and goes on and says, well, now when they came out, they found a man, Simon of Cyrene by name, and him they compelled to bear the cross. So when they came to the place called Gotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him sour wine with, mingle, uh, with gall to, mingled with gall to drink, and when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him. Well, wasn't it enough that they'd lashed his back? Wasn't it enough they'd pulled his beard out? Wasn't it enough that they'd spit in his face? Wasn't it enough that they made a mockery of him? Hail, I mean, come on. I've never seen such viciousness. They crucified him, divided his garments that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. Now, you need to understand who it is on the cross. You need to understand that. Let me tell you who it is. Hanging on that cross was the Son of God, perfect deity. The Bible says God became flesh. God became a man and lived among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. You know who was hanging on that cross? God himself. The Son of God. Jeremiah, Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. You know who was on that cross? Emmanuel. Emmanuel was on that cross. Perfect deity, dying on a cross for you and for me. My, my, 
But let me tell you else who it was hanging on that cross. He was not only the perfect, the son of God, perfect deity. He was the son of man, perfect humanity. That's right. The son of man, perfect humanity. While jo- Joseph, when he, he found out Mary was going to have a child, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to uh, you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you shall bring forth a son. He's born in this world as a human being. Just like you and I, except we, he didn't have a sinful nature. And you shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So I look at the cross. Perfect deity, the Son of God. Then I look at the cross, perfect humanity, the son of David, the last Adam. And there he was. And there he died on the cross. And listen to the words of Matthew 27, 50. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and died. He cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Can I ask you a question? What did he cry out? What did he say? He cried out with a loud voice and died. You know who tells us what he said? John. You know where he tells us? In chapter 19, verse 30. Now I want you to get this. This is a shouting ground right here. I am telling you, and when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, by the way, with a loud voice. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He was just getting started. He said, it is finished. You know what he was saying? The perfect sacrifice for sin. All sin, past, present, and future, I have died for. I've made the perfect, eternal sacrifice for the sins of the human race. There'll be no more goats, no more calves, no more brazen altars, no more sacrifices, no more. That's over. The tabernacle is history. I have made the perfect sacrifice. For sin forever, he said, it is finished. Well, let me just read to you uh, what it says in Hebrews 10, 10 through uh, 12 and 14. By, will, uh, by will, that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never be taken away, never take away sin. But this is what I want you to see. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You know why you sit down? You sit down when it's finished. And then it goes on and says in in, uh, verse 14, by one offering, he's perfected forever those who've been sanctified. And here's the good news. You know that 60 feet tall, 60 foot tall, 
four-inch thick veil that separated common people, you and me, from the presence of God. Only a high priest could go in once a year. You know what happened when Jesus said it is finished and he had offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. God reached his holy hands down from heaven and look what happened. Then behold, the veil of the temple. Wait a minute. That's what kept me out of the presence of God. That's what said I couldn't go in. That's what said had been in existence since Adam sinned. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top 60 feet high. It must have been the hands of God. Then behold, the veil was torn in two from the top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. I reckon so. You know what happened when Jesus said it is finished? And God reached down from heaven and ripped that veil from top to bottom. You know what he said to you? And you know what he said to me? Now, through the sacrifice of my son, Jesus, through his precious blood that he shed on your behalf, through the perfect finished work of Jesus, now you can come, you can come on inside. You can come on into the Holy of Holies. And you can live in my presence. Now, folks, I mean, that's the best news I ever heard in my life. I mean, can I tell you something? The veil is torn in two. The Holy of Holies is wide open to anyone who will go in through the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Now, you try to get in through religion, you're not getting in. You try to get in through good work. The only way into the holy presence of God is through the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at Hebrews 10, 19. It makes it clear. You ain't got to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. Look at Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hey, how do you get into the holiest? How do you get in? You got it. How do you get in? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, look at this, which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. His flesh took our sin on himself and he made it possible for that veil to be ripped from top to the bottom. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. You know what? It used to be that just the priest could go to God. But I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus tore that veil in two, now everybody in this room can, who is saved lives in the presence of God. And everybody in this room who is saved, you, you're not only living in the presence of God, you can talk to him anytime you want to. You may not walk with him in a garden, but you can walk with him anywhere you want to because I am telling you, when you're saved, you live in the presence of God. In fact, when you're saved, the presence of God comes to indwell you in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
You say, Brother Fred, when, are, when can you enter the Holy of Holies? When Jesus comes into your heart, washes your sins away, and you become a child of God. Well, how long can I stay in the Holy of Holies? You stay the rest of, your, you stay the rest of eternity. You never leave his presence. Once you enter the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus and you're saved, you never leave the presence of God. Boy, I sometimes don't act right. That's why you feel so bad when you do wrong. Because you're in God's presence. That's why. Well, why? No, I used, used to sin. It didn't bother me. Now it just tears me up. You know why? You're in the presence of God. And man, of course it's going to bother you because he's holy. You see, once you're saved, you're, you live in the presence of God. And you never leave the presence of God. How do I know that? Well, the Bible makes it clear. Jesus did in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He said, uh, Jesus said in Hebrews 13, Jesus didn't say it, but he, it, he, meant, he meant it. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I got saved when I was nine years old. For about 10 years, I didn't live close to God. Oh, I prayed every night. I was always convicted of my sin. I was keenly aware. Because I was, I, even though I went in God's presence as nine years old, I'm telling you, every night I'd pray. Every night. I knew these things weren't right. I knew that. Because you see, once you go into his presence, then, then you don't ever leave. You're there forever. And, 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 and let me give you um, uh, a couple more verses. Hebrews 10, 19. It said, uh, I think I maybe read all of those. Here, here's what I want to show you. And I'll be through. And we'll have the Lord's Supper. I want you to look at Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. This is, this is powerful. Every one of us is a priest to God. You don't have to have me to pray for you. You can pray to God yourself. You don't have to have me teach you the Bible. The Holy Spirit's in you that can, he can teach you the Bible. Oh, we, they're godly teachers. We need good teachers. But you don't have to. I want to tell you something. Listen to me. I'm, I'm about to shout. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no such thing as clergy and laity. Oh, there are gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. But they're but they just the ones that equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This idea that the clergy does everything and you sit there like a dummy and can't do nothing, that's a lie. I want to tell you right now, if Jesus Christ lives in your heart, you have the same Holy Spirit anybody else has, and you have access into the presence of God, and don't you let the devil intimidate you, and don't you let anybody else tell you different. You have access, into the, and you live in the presence of God every day of your life if you are saved and a child of the living God. Who? My Lord, have mercy. Let me read... Uh, Hebrews 9, I, I, this is some of my favorite verses. Christ came as the high, great high priest of good things to come. With greater and more tiber, perfect tabernacle not made with hands, not of this creation. Now get this. Not with the blood of goats and calves. Here's Jesus. He died on the cross. 
not with the blow of the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place. Did you know there's a holy of holies in heaven? Oh, yeah, there's a holy of holies in heaven. The tabernacle was patterned after what was in heaven. And so Jesus, after he died with his own blood, he entered into the holy of holies in heaven, having obtained eternal redemption, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Look at the next verse. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of, for the purifying of the, of the flesh. How much more? When those people laid their hands on a, a live animal and transferred their sins, it would be covered a little while and, and the priest killed it and shed its blood. That was temporary. Look at this. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God. Cleanse your, dead, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you know what Jesus did? He died on the cross. And during that time before Sunday, the resurrection, he went into heaven. And you know what he did? He went into the holy of holies in heaven. Oh, yeah. And you know what he did? He took the, his own blood, seven is the number of perfection, and he sprinkled the atonement covering. He sprinkled the mercy seat in heaven with his own blood. And you know why we can live inside the veil? You know why we have access to God and why we know what forgiveness is? Did you know the mercy seat in heaven is covered? With the blood of Jesus. And God when he sees you as a Christian. He sees you through the mercy seat. <laughs> no wonder forgiveness is so wonderful. God sees you. Robed in the righteousness of his son. But he sees you through the mercy seat. That is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus.